I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day he rose again, he ascended into heaven, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Greetings and salutations. Welcome to another fabulous day in the Lord's neighborhood and to another episode of Coffee, the Bible, and Page. In the beginning, there was created coffee, and lo, it was very good. And here it is. I'm Paige Garwood, your caffeinated host. Mm. Love me some coffee. Today, we're going to continue on our journey in numbers. Uh, Moses now is by himself. Miriam and Aaron have uh, passed away. And other than Moses, the only two people left from the previous generation is, is Caleb, and, uh, Caleb and Joshua. And they're getting ready very soon to make their entry into the promised land. Now, uh, I'm gonna go to the. I'm gonna go to a map here, and we're gonna read this chapter and chat a little bit about what's going on, and uh, see if I can make some kind of application of the real life, rubber meets the world type of world that I live in. See if there's something for me in this chapter, chapter twenty one. Let's go. First of all, take a look at this map. All right, um, everything. Basically, to the left of the Dead Sea, going up the Jordan River, the Jordan River is the dividing uh, line here. That's the promised land that Israel has been promised. Now, they have been marching around the wilderness for the last 40 years from the Red Sea, which is down and to the left off this map, and to the right of the Dead Sea and the Jordan River. Uh, in today's chapter, they're spending uh, most of their time above the Edomites, up from the bottom of the uh, picture here, and to the right of the Dead Sea and the Jordan River. And they're going to be getting some very, very valuable military experience. And we're going to be talking about that in a little bit. Because if you remember correctly, a couple chapters ago, when they were denied entrance into the Promised Land, they decided, well, we'll just go take them anyway. And they started off in a fight, and they got their butts handed to them on a platter um, because God wasn't with them. God had told them. That's when God had told them that this generation would not enter the Promised Land, so they decided to do it anyway and got defeated soundly in battle. So uh, they don't have a really great military reputation, and there's nothing about it them that strikes fear into the hearts of their enemies. This is about to change. So let's read chapter 21, and we'll chat a little bit about stuff. When the Canaanite king of Arad, who lived in the Negev, heard that Israel was coming along the road to Atherim, he attacked the Israelites and captured some of them. All right, so they made 
a strike on Israel, a preemptive strike like a, a guerrilla attack. Israel made this vow to the Lord. If you will deliver these people into our hands, we will totally destroy their cities. Now, it's interesting. It says, then Israel made this vow to the Lord. This is the people of Israel. So they, now remember, God is still with them. He's in the desert. There's a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Tabernacles moving all over the place. Um, so they evidently gained an audience with the Lord and they vowed, if you'll deliver these people into our hands, we will totally destroy their cities. The Lord listened to Israel's plea and gave the Canaanites over to them. They completely destroyed them and their towns. So the place was named Hormah. Now they traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. Remember, Edom, God had promised Edom, the descendants of Esau, land. And he had told the Israelites, do not go to war with them. I promised them this land. This is their land. He made promises to Esau, just like he made to Jacob. God is honoring his promises. And Moses has not let the Israelites attack the Edomites. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no bread, there's no water, and we detest this miserable food. They were calling God's miracle provision of manna detestable. Not a great move on their part. But also, they might have been feeling their oats a little bit. They had just defeated, in a, in a pretty major military battle, uh, they destroyed some cities and some of the Canaanites. Uh, and... Uh, they're thinking, why can't we? I could just see him saying, well, why can't we go to war with the Edomites? Why can't we do that? They can't because God said you can't. But they were feeling rough, tough, and hard to diaper. And they complained, and they used the same old line. They don't come up with anything new. Uh, there's no bread. There's no water. We detest this miserable food. Mm. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, we sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. You know, the one thing that occurs to me that's kind of sad about this whole situation is that there's several steps of separation between the people and the God who has chosen them to be his people. They had opportunity to walk with him and be very close to him. And in the very beginning, they told Moses, he scares us. You talk to us. You tell us what to do. We don't want to talk to him anymore. And so there was a wall of separation between Israel and God that I don't believe needed to have been there. And now they go to Moses and say, tell him to take away these snakes. So here's what Moses does. Lord said to Moses, make a snake, put it up on a pole. Anyone who's bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. And then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. Now, it seems kind of odd solution to the problem. But, you know, God has all these inventive ways to show his people who he is. And they're, they're very, uh, a lot of times, they're very unusual ways. This is one. Make a bronze snake. You've been bit by a snake, look at it. You'll be healed. Um, another way of God just demonstrating his power. He, he could have just snapped his fingers and all the snake bites go away. But this is something visual 
that he grants them out of his grace and mercy to his people so they can see with their own eyes a visible representation of what God can do. Bronze snake, look at it. Snake bite goes away. God did it. So it's, and Jesus referred to this in chapter three of John's gospel, where he says, just like the bronze snake was lifted up on a pole, so the son of man will be. He taught, he's prophesying his crucifixion. Now, the journey into Moab. The Israelites moved on and camped at Oboth. Then they set out from Oboth and camped in Lyabarim, in the wilderness that faces Moab toward the sunrise. From there, they moved on and camped in the Zared Valley. They set out from there and camped alongside the Arnon, which is in the wilderness, extending into the Amorite territory. All right, let's come up here. Amorites, where are they at? All right, you can see the Amorites right here in the middle. That's where they're, they're at. The Arnon is a border of Moab, between Moab and the Amorites, and this is why the Book of the Wars of the Lord say, says, Zahab and Sufa and the ravines, the Arnon and the slopes of the ravine, ravines that lead to the settlement of Ar and lie along the border of Moab. Now, this book is not in existence today. We have not found it. It's mentioned only here in the Old Testament. Presumably, it was an ancient collection of songs of war in praise of God. From there, they continued on to Beer, the well where the Lord said to Moses, gather the people together and I will give them water. Israel sang the song, spring up, O well, sing about it, about the well that the princes dug, that the nobles of the people sank, the nobles with scepters and staffs. Then they went from the wilderness to Matana, from Matana to Nahaliel, from Nahaliel to Bamath, and from Bamath to the valley of Moab, where the top of Pisgah overlooks the wasteland. Now Israel sent messengers to say to Sihon, king of the Amorites, let us pass through your country. We will not turn aside into any field of vineyard or drink water from any well. Just like the same agreement they tried to make with the Edomites. We'll travel along king's highway until we pass through your territory. But Sihon would not let Israel pass through his territory. He mustered his entire army. Now this is, a, I, from what I can tell, the first major pitched battle that the Israelite army has been involved in. Sihon mustered his entire army and marched out into the wilderness against Israel. When he reached Jahaz, he fought with Israel. Israel, however, put him to the sword and took over his land from the Arnon to the Jabbok, but only as far as the Ammonites because their border was fortified. Israel captured all the cities of the Amorites and occupied them, including Heshbon and all its surrounding settlements. Heshbon was a city of Sihon, king of the Amorites who had fought against the former king of Moab and had taken from him all his land as far as the Arnon. That's why the poets say, come to Heshbon, let it be rebuilt. Let Sihon city be restored. Fire went out from Heshbon, a blaze from the city of Sihon. It consumed Ar of Moab, the citizens of Arnon's heights. Woe to you, Moab. You are destroyed, people of Chemosh. He has given up his sons as fugitives and his daughters as captives to Sihon, king of the Amorites. But we have overthrown them. Heshbon's dominion has been destroyed all the way to Dibon. We have demolished them as far as Nopha, which extends to Mediba. So Israel settled in the land of the Amorites. First major uh, military campaign, if you will, against a fully armed army. Valuable training because they're getting ready to go into the promised land with Joshua leading the army and Joshua leading Israel. 
And God is giving them on-the-job training as an army, what to expect. You know, it's it's funny. Um, Mike Tyson said something once, which I thought was amazing. He says, you step into the boxing ring with a plan. Everybody has a plan until they get hit in the mouth. That's the way battle is. That's the way war is. Everybody goes to war with a plan. But when the first shot is fired, everything changes. And you have to be able to act quickly, decisively, be able to make instantaneous decisions. I mean, battle is a very uh, fluid thing. And you have to be able to adapt quickly. And you can't, you, you really can't train for that. You have to get that from experience. So Israel's getting experience in fighting and going to war. After Moses had sent spies to Jazer, the Israelites captured its surrounding settlements and drove out the Amorites who were there. Then they turned and went up along the road toward Bashan, and Og, king of Bashan, and his whole army marched out to meet them in the battle at Edri. The Lord said to Moses, Don't be afraid of him, for I'm I have delivered him into your hands, along with his whole army and his land. Do to him what you did to Sihon, king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon. So they struck him down, together with his sons and his whole army, leaving them no survivors. And they took possession of his land. All right. This is a this is a very interesting chapter. Uh, we're seeing Israel getting prepared in the final years of its wanderings in the desert. God has finally turned them loose to begin to war with the people that they're going to be replacing. And he's giving them invaluable military experience, which is going to serve them very well when they get ready to go in to the promised land under Joshua. And this just makes me think sometimes how um, how God prepares us for our futures that he has for us. Um, sometimes we don't understand in the moment what we're being prepared for or how what's happening to us is going to prepare us for what's coming in the future. Uh, several years back when the pandemic started and I was diagnosed with congestive heart failure, um, things were in flux for me. Uh, I was faced with my mortality for the very first time in my life. And um, I was sorting a lot of things out. And one of the things I started to do just to maintain a level of sanity was this devotional series that I've been doing. I've gone through the New Testament. Now I'm working my way through the Old Testament. Um, I did it just to uh, be, you know, just, just to keep myself from going nuts. Plus, I recognized the fact that I needed to have communion with God through the word. I, I needed it. And I had not been very faithful in my life for several years, more than a few years, in regards to the word of God. So I knew I needed to do that. One of the side benefits of starting to do all this, I started doing Facebook Live and then turning this into a regular podcast, one of the side benefits is I got introduced to a lot of technology uh, that I wasn't familiar with. I had to bring in a video production platform of some kind, and I've gone through several. I'm with the, uh, I, I think I'm on the one I'm going to stick with now. It's taken me several years to work through all the bugs 
to find a workflow that works for me. Uh, so I'm not spending all day to produce one of these things as it stands right now. Uh, in less than an hour, I can produce a podcast episode for uh, Coffee, the Bible, and Page. So, I, I'm, so I'm working through the technology, working through uh, different things about how to do live stuff on the internet. And I'm doing it just within the context of doing these Bible studies, not because I have any kind of grand plan in place. Now, here's what's happened because of that. Because I'm much more familiar now with uh, video aspects of doing podcasts and, and posting podcasts, uh, editing audio. Um, I've learned a lot about microphones. I've learned a lot about audio quality, how to EQ audio and video, how to do all these things surrounding this stuff. And that has prepared me for opportunities. One opportunity was uh, a, new, a new friend I met through my bluegrass world. Uh, who wrote a book, and she heard me speaking, and she asked if I would consider doing uh, an audio version of her book, and that was very successful. And based on that, I got another possible job opportunity to uh, to work with another organization where I am basically going to become the voice of that organization if if it works out. Uh, and now all of a sudden, all this stuff that I was doing just to keep my head straight, doing Bible devotions, has prepared me for some very unexpected side ventures. You never know what God's really preparing you for. Israel's in the wilderness. This generation has no idea what's coming with uh, Jericho and crossing the Jordan and beginning. They, they don't know really what to expect in the promised land. But God is preparing them. He's giving them battles with kings in the area and armies in the area. He's training them to become a viable military unit, to become a an army that is to be feared. When they left Egypt, they were basically a big mob with a bunch of farm implements. They weren't an army. They could not, they, they had more men in Israel than the Pharaoh had in his army, but they could not have faced down and defeated Pharaoh's army in a pitched battle. So God went to battle for them in the Red Sea. Well, now he's preparing them to fight a pitched battle. And all their time in the wilderness, wandering in the wilderness, you know in the desert that that's going to toughen them up. The men are going to be strong. The men are going to be battle-hardened. The men are going to be uh, trained in weaponry. They And they've actually got to put it to test in these different uh, battlefield scenarios that, they, that they're fighting here in this chapter. So I'm saying all that to say this. Even if you don't understand what you're going through now, El Roy, the God who sees, God who sees everything, the God who sees your past, your present, your future, all at once, the God who sees you is preparing you and he's bringing into your 
life experience, skills and skill sets and uh, changes that are preparing you for things that you don't even know it's coming yet. And you're probably not even going to think about it. I never would have thought of doing audiobooks. I never would have thought of doing uh, narration as a, as a side hustle. But everything I was doing that God was doing to prepare me with these Bible devotions and the podcasts I've started and with these uh, Coffee, the Bible and Page, all these things, it's all being applied now in other areas because I've been trained in this area. But I'm taking these new skills and I'm able to apply it elsewhere. Israel is being trained in battle because war is coming. When they cross Jer- when they cross the Jordan, they are going to be at war for some time to come. All right. It'd be interesting to find out what God has been doing in your life to prepare you for what's coming up. Hmm. A lot of times we don't know that answer till after it's all been said and done. Folks, I'm out of here. This is Paige. Here's my coffee. Y'all have a great day. Bye-bye. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. Neither should my thoughts be your thoughts. You need to think for yourself.